Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on The Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 19 of the Johnson & Boone podcast. My name is Mark. Joining me this week is a stranger. Uh, he hasn't been with us for a while. It is Rob Boone from Johnson & Boone fame. How are we doing, Rob? Hey, Mark. How's it going? You okay? Yeah, not too bad. Long time no see. It has. It has. It's been a long time. I've, uh, I've let a few others have a, have a go over the last few weeks, but uh, we're back with a vengeance this week. And how do we rate the rest of the team in their podcasting skills? I think they've been doing really well. Then about you? Yeah, I thought they've been brilliant. There's been some really interesting stuff that we've covered, uh, and because of course we are still in the midst of a COVID nineteen pandemic, there's still plenty of topical issues for you to cover within the areas of expertise that you do. Um, just briefly before I run through the usual information, uh, what is it we're going to be t- covering today? Uh, well, today's very topical because um, as we've, as, as you say, there's there's been a variety of our podcasts that have touched on uh, the COVID-19 situation, the effects that it's had on businesses, etc. Uh, what we're looking at today is the business interruption insurance elements uh, and what businesses should be doing. Okay, great. Well, if you want to listen to some of Rob's team covering a wide variety of topics, we've done landlord stuff, commercial stuff, employment stuff. Uh, wills and probate stuff then you can go and catch the previous shows either on johnsonandboon.co.uk website there's a podcast tab you can download their free mobile app on apple and android stores and you can listen to it there or if you go onto the podcast website page you'll actually find links to all of the major podcast platforms where you can subscribe and then when we upload the latest episode, it should automatically download onto whatever device it is that you use to listen to your podcasts. And we're always looking for topics um, for you that you want us to specifically cover. So if you want to get in touch with us to suggest some, it's info at johnsonandboom.co.uk. We'd also love your feedback. So if you want to give us some reviews, we haven't had any reviews yet. Have we on, uh, on any of the platforms? We'll have some five-star reviews, Rob. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> just to just to rub our egos a little bit because we're delicate souls. Uh, uh, so yeah, if you want to do that, that'd be really really cool. Um, also, if you've got any questions, you can email in. Um, some we try and keep these podcasts relatively tight in terms of timescales, so it's not realistic to cover anything, uh, any top one topic in huge detail. 
but if there are any outstanding questions that we didn't manage to cover or you think are particularly relevant then if you send in a question we'll happily read them out and answer them uh, right here on the show uh, because if you are wondering there's probably someone else out there who's also wondering as well so let's get stuck into the topic for today uh, Rob we've got the business interruption insurance issue um, so I mean what is it because People are probably wondering why it's a relevant issue from a legal perspective. Yeah, of course. So if if you cast your mind back, Mark, to I think it was probably, probably the second podcast that we did in the lockdown period, and we've gone through a list of things that businesses should be looking at, and they related to things such as what they're doing with the property, the premises, staff, all that sort of stuff. And in that long list of objectives at that stage, we highlighted the businesses need to, needed to go and have a look at their insurance policies and see whether they had any business interruption insurance within that policy. Um, fast forward up until this stage, and obviously many, many businesses have, have lost out significantly because of COVID. There is now a live argument which is ongoing as to the interpretation of those policies and which of those policies should and shouldn't be paid as a result of the effects of COVID. Uh, and what we're going to go through today is where that's up to, um, what uh, there's a test case that's going on at this moment in time, so where that's up to, and what businesses should be doing at this moment. There's an awful lot of money at stake here, isn't there? They, they, we're not talking small fry in terms of these policies and the covers. Each policy might not necessarily be vast swathes of money, but if you add it all up, this this is a massive case. It's, it's a huge liability for the insurers um, and it's it's very, very important that it's it's dealt with right both for uh, UK businesses and for the insurance industry as a whole. Um, so I guess let's start with the at the beginning. So what, what do these policies generally cover? There's many types of policy and the more basic of the policies um, will just cover, will just be for physical damage. So it's to ensure against something happening to the building itself and the business being interrupted. There are, however, many extensions within policies and some of them are useful because they relate to issues relating to human disease, uh, prevention of access, or if the property is closed by a, a suitable public authority. Um, and they're the policies really that are the subject of controversy at the moment. Okay, so what's what's the debate exactly? Because that sounds quite straightforward when you put it that way. If if there is a a, a medical disease and the authorities say you can open as a result of that, which which was actually what was done. I remember watching one of those Boris Johnson press conferences, and in fact, I think it was Richie Sunak, the Chancellor, who stood there and said a phrase which I can't verbatim recall but it was words to the effect of we are saying that as of this moment in time you are locked down you are unable to trade and he did it in such a way where that it would activate those kind of policies presumably yeah I mean whether he intended at that stage that it would activate these policies or not I think is is an is an open question really I, I, I don't think we could answer that but in terms of this is an incredibly uh, complex area. Um, there's a variety of different types of cover. All of the policies say something slightly different, and it's the interpretation of those policies. Uh, they're not all the same. 
they don't all say the same thing and they're not all intended to say the same thing. So there's potential for huge, very complex arguments that businesses will have to enter into with insurance companies. Um, and as, as the starting point this far, most businesses are, haven't got very far at all in terms of making claims. So to what extent is this test case going to clarify this issue? Because presumably this test case won't deal with all of the specific... You, you mentioned there that lots of policies have lof, lots of different interpretations or lots of different cover types. Um, what, what's this test case likely to clarify? Yeah, well, first of all, in, in terms of the test case, just for people that don't know, this is the Financial Conduct Authority, referred to as the FCA, has brought uh, a test action and they're seeking a declaratory judgment on a number of policy um, issues and questions, uh, all relating to non-damage cover within these policies. Um, and they're bringing that case under the Financial Markets Test Case Scheme which is a scheme that's in place to allow them to test things which are this serious for the industry. Um, the case itself, the FCA reviewed a number of policy wordings and they selected a number which was intended to be representative of what the different policies said. There are eight insurers that are participating in the test case. Um, and the idea of the test case is for specific questions to be put to the court and it's the high court um, who are to make considerations of all of the interpretations, issues such as causation, etc. And we will go through what is, is going to be considered in a bit more detail, but it's to stop satellite litigation because if, if there isn't some sort of uh, overall decision that just assists generally in terms of what a lot of these things say, it would leave businesses in an individual situation where they'd have to instruct solicitors and take a case to court that's never been decided before because we've never had to decide before whether a, a global pandemic is something that is able to to trigger an insurance policy um so it, it just hasn't happened so rather than every single case having to individually go through court this is where the, the highest courts in the land are, are making a decision in relation to generally what the position would be they can't look at each case in its in its um you know, with its own merits. They, this is an interpretation of the policy wordings. It will still be for each business, for example, to prove causation, and it will still be for each business to prove the loss. But it is a massive step if it goes in the favour of the policyholders uh, towards payments being made. There's a couple of phrases you've used there which might not necessarily be something that people are familiar with. You mentioned there about satellite litigation. What, what do you mean by satellite in litigation? When we refer to satellite litigation, we we refer to the a, a phrase whereby lots and lots of litigation over a single point will take place over and over again, or lots and lots of fresh proceedings. So, I mean, we, we talk about the test case that's going through at the moment. It's highly likely that regardless as to the outcome of the test case, whether that's in favour of the FCA, who believe that these insurance policies should be um, interpreted in, in, in favour of the businesses, or whether the insurers who think that it's much more limited, either party may appeal. These proceedings, you know, they involve many senior uh, barristers all representing all the different insurance companies. Um, the proceedings themselves are several hundred pages. The skeleton arguments that have been put forward are several hundred pages. 
if this is dealt with at this stage and get and we can get some clarity, it saves businesses having to go through that journey themselves, each and every case. And it also prevents the lower courts from having to try and make decisions. Um, uh, so in essence, we're trying to get a, a rough guideline that people can work from with subsequent, subsequent cases as opposed to everyone firing their own arguments and different courts making different decisions which confuse the situation a bit more and then everybody else just ends up spending a fortune trying to decide which one of those two decisions is correct, probably only to find out that neither of them are and there's a third one just to murky the waters a bit more. Yeah, and the other thing is that because the FCA have done it, the FCA are publishing all of the documentation that relates to the case, so you can go onto the FCA website, and whilst it's not the easiest read in the world for the layperson, all of these documents are there, so you can see the proceedings, you can see all the questions and the list of disputes, you can read the agreed facts, uh, because ahead of this taking place, there's been agreed facts in terms of um, the, the situation itself and how the government dealt with it, there's then also assumed facts, and they relate to, as I say, issues of causation. And causation, for people that don't know what that means, that's the link between, um, in this instance, the shutdown or COVID and the loss that they've sustained. So that that's called the causal link. Um, in, in the test case, a lot of that's assumed because, as I say, the courts aren't going to make up situations and play them all out individually. But we are trying to get an overall umbrella in terms of the basic principles and and it, it will be very very helpful to, to any businesses that are moving these cases forward in due course uh, so with, with causation essentially the business is shut down because of the lockdown they're assuming that the losses that are being claimed are linked to the fact that the lockdown it's just a case of quantifying how much that amount might be yeah that's right i, I mean there's different levels that are required in relation to, you know, for evidential purposes within cases. Um, and it's it's one of the issues that I think moving forward is likely to remain in dispute, whether causation has been established. And then the next big thing will be what is the loss and what are they able to deduct from the loss? Um, how are they to prove the loss? And over what period are we going to be looking at? Um, but that isn't something that is necessarily the focus of the test case that will be played out on an individual basis later on, uh, as I say, the test cases, so as we can get the main principles right. Um, what, what are the more generic issues that they're going to be looking at in particular? Well, as I say, what's, what's very helpful about the FCA bringing the case is that they, they publish um, a table of issues that the, the court is going to be looking at. Um, and they're fairly lengthy, or they are... Um, as I say, all based on the presumption of certain facts, but they're looking at generic issues as to uh, what is required for a business to say that they've been interrupted or, or, or what is inference. And that's an example of the difference of the word. And so, you know, is it to be assumed that interruption and inference means the same thing? So they're going to tidy things like that up. Um, there's, there's things in policies that say that uh, it, it needs to be proven that it has resulted from or directly resulted from or it's caused by or it's following or it's arising from. And you can see how these are all slightly different phrases. And to the layperson, you may say, well, they all pretty much say the same thing or pretty much say the same thing and contractually saying the same thing are two different matters. 
So the courts are going to settle issues like that, the interpretation of policies. Um, a big one that they're looking at is um, the meaning of in the vicinity, because it, it's often um, stated within these policies that human disease has to be in the vicinity. Well, if that's defined in the policy, then it's defined. But if it's not, what does that mean? And how do you prove that COVID-19 was in the vicinity? You know, are we running forward on the basis that it was a pandemic and it was everywhere and everywhere was shut, therefore it was automatically on your premises? Or because no one had symptoms, was it not on your premises? So there's all these things that, um, again, to the layperson, it might sound as though it's, it's very petty in terms of how, how it plays out. But from a contractual point of view, it has to be correct. Um, also within a lot of the insurance policies, the phrases that we're, we're talking about here, they're used interchangeably throughout the policy. So does that mean they're intended to mean different things at different parts of the policy? Or is that just a, a drafting error? Is it that it just isn't stated the same because it just isn't stated the same? And rather than this being played out, there's 18 different policies that the courts are looking at um, as the the representation of what these things look like. Um, lay people shouldn't have to interpret these things because if an insurance company has drafted a policy and it's just badly worded, then badly worded shouldn't give you protection. But if it very clearly says something and it doesn't cover you, at the same time, you shouldn't be able to make your claim. There's some really heavy stuff in what you just said there. I mean, it's no wonder it's been dealt with in the way that it has. A, a lay person, you'd have a a massive issue trying to just wrap your head around so many different issues in so many different ways. What kind of timescales are we looking at for this? Certainly knowing where it is that which side of the uh, of the court the ball is going to land uh, because it must have moved quite quickly. We're not that long. I say we're not that long. Time seems to have flown since we've been locked away in our cells. Um, sort of March, beginning of March is when the lockdown started. We're obviously now at the time of doing this, the end of July. So uh, in terms of the legal process, both you and I know that's that's pretty electric, <laughs> electrifyingly fast from a legal perspective. But from everyone else's perspective, it probably feels a bit slow and, and lumbered. Yeah, I, I'm if you... Um... If you consider, for example, the the complexity and the length of the pleadings, etc., and the amount of hearings that have already taken place, etc., it, it's it's moved remarkably fast. So, in in terms of um, in terms of the the case itself, the test case itself, the proceedings were issued on the 9th of June. By the 16th of June, um, there was a case management conference, which is 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 a hearing in which. Um, the court fixed the timetable for the rest of the procedural matters. By the 23rd of June, um, the insurers had filed their defences. You only fast forward three days and there's another case management hearing um, in which they deal with any outstanding matters. By the 3rd of July, the FCA had filed their reply to the proceedings. Um, by the 4th, sorry, by the 10th, um, the skeleton arguments of the FCA have been served. By the 14th, the skeleton arguments of the, um, the insurers have been served. And for people that don't know, skeleton arguments are 
an outlay of what you're going to say. So what are your arguments on all these points? And again, those documents in this case stretch to several hundred pages. Um, and then the court hearing itself started on the, the 20th of July. Uh, it ran for a few days and then there was a break and it was picked up again on the 27th of July. And just to date stamp this podcast for everyone, we are now on the 30th of July and today is the last day for the case. So we anticipate a written judgment in the next maybe three or four weeks. I mean, that's phenomenally fast. Writing a skeleton argument on something so complex and important inside of seven days, I'm pretty certain I wouldn't want that, that brief to land on my desk. No, it's remarkable. And, and if you actually look at the documents themselves as well, we're not just talking volume here. They are incredibly complicated documents that are very well balanced and argued on both parties. Uh, regardless as to where you sit in terms of who you think is, is right and who you think is wrong, a huge amount of work has gone into making sure that this case moves forward as quickly as it has moved forward. So what should be people be doing now? Because just before you answer that question, I guess the, the, the tax on to that question will be when this judgment is received, to what extent are there going to be appeals processes that follow on from this and how long are they likely to take? Because whilst it's moved quickly and whilst we sort of use the phrase petty arguments over some of these phrases, when you're talking hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds, you can understand why where a full stop goes is that important. It, it, it really is that important and um, it is highly likely that there will be an appeal. Um, regardless really as to which way it falls. I think an appeal though would be limited to certain points. So it might be that within the overall judgment, you know, there's a lot of things that the court are looking at here all at the same time. It might be that there's a couple of things that are subject of appeal. I think you're probably less likely that the entirety of any decision um, is going to be appealed. So there will be cases off the back of um, the initial judgment that will be able to move forward. Um, and it might be that there is no appeal and all cases can move forward. But what it will do is it will give people clarity in terms of where they sit. There will be lots of people disappointed and their policies will be clarified as, as being not covered. But there will equal, equally be lots of people, we think, who um, the clarification is is in their favour uh, and their cases and, and, and their claims against the policies are able to move forward. So what should people be doing right now, sort of pre this decision, and I suppose, following on from that, what should they then be doing post-receiving the judgment? At this stage, um, again, we're rewinding right the way back to our advice in March. People need to be pulling out the policies if they have business interruption insurance, and they need to be seeing if it contains any of the things that we're talking about. If it does, or if they're not sure whether it does, um, they can send the policies over, um, and we've got a designated email address for them to send them to and we can have a look at them and we can have a chat to them in terms of what their losses are and whether generally it's worth them uh, presenting a claim to the insurers. What what we feel is important is that those claims are, are put in sooner rather than later. They need to be careful that they don't miss any limitation for informing their insurers if they haven't already and they shouldn't fall into the trap of, um, as many people I've spoken to so far have said, that they've informed their brokers and the brokers have said no, because informing your broker isn't necessarily informing your insurer 
and your policy will set out a specific way that you have to inform your insurers in the event of a potential claim. Um, the main thing really for businesses to do is is not ignore it and not just wait for the test case to finish because if it does go in favour of the policy holders and a lot of these claims are to be paid, you, you can appreciate the landslide then of, of people trying to get things in and the insurers will only be able to deal with them in, in date order. We we often we often chuckle amongst ourselves, and I appreciate it's a very sad thing to chuckle about. But we often do about that hunt for the next big thing that you see in the legal sector. I mean, claims management companies who are becoming a a, a less frequent beast uh, were were synonymous with those kind of things. So people will know about the personal injury sector and the 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 PPI sector, and then there was the the PIP, the PIP. <laughs> sector uh i mean the, aside from the fact they obviously love the 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 use of p and i in whatever abbreviations they use there is usually this sort of new creation of a claims type and from our experience what the government have done is increasingly impl- in, introduced management methods to keep those within some sort of structure to stop that that sort of onslaught of almost like satellite in litigation going on for years and years and years they've sort of they sort of say look by this date you need to have done this and by that date you need to have done that now obviously they don't have any of those dates and they haven't put anything like that in place but do we think they might try and do something like this because once the test cases come in they might be saying well look if if you want to sort of enter into this sort of litigation you need to be looking at your policies and notifying your insurers by this date you need to be getting your your claims served by this date and if they haven't gone to somebody like you to get that sort of advice they might quite literally miss out it is possible most of the insurance policies have a, a backstop on them anyway so if you let your policy expire and you haven't told them about it within normally 30 days, uh, sometimes there's an earlier trigger point, but it, it can be your claims rejected anyway because you just haven't followed the process. In in terms of you know the, the possibilities of, of uh, a claims management company type organisation getting involved in this, it's possible, but the difficulty for a policyholder is when when they're looking at their policy, which is normally you know 80 pages or so long. And they're not too sure. They want an answer as to whether they've got a chance or not. And at this stage, all we can say is it contains the correct wording. It, it contains things that might give rise t- to a claim. But we can have a proper conversation with them in terms of the causation elements. We can have a proper conversation with them in terms of the losses and how they're going to go about um, exploring that. Part of our process, if we're instructed, is we will then write to the insurers and we will make sure the insurers are aware of the claim. We will also then start working with the business to um, get together the financial documents that they're going to need to prove their loss. And we'll prepare a schedule of loss. So for many of the businesses that we're already working with, by the time this judgment is released, we'll have actually calculated their loss and there'll be a schedule of loss ready to go into the insurer. So rather than at that stage starting the process where your initial notifications going off to the insurer, we should be at the point where we're actually asking for the payment on the policies that it's it's going to be triggered on. Right. So uh, I suppose at this point, perhaps it's worth us just giving the uh, email address that people can use to get in touch so that they can get moving on this now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it if anybody wants to contact us via any of our normal channels, but we do have a designated email address, which is BII and then claims or one word at johnsonandboon.co.uk. Um, and that's a, that's a monitored all the time by all of the solicitors here. Uh, and as soon as a policy drops in, um, obviously with contact details, we're generally getting back to people same day. Uh, and we've already sort of covered the importance of doing that at this stage. It, clearly what you're saying is get your policy out, have a look yourself. If you're not entirely sure, get in touch with you guys with the policy. You can give them at least a rough outline of whether or not the policy they have will fall into these criteria that they're currently looking at and discussing. Um, when would we expect the insurers to accept the claim? Are they Are they going to just stonewall you guys until this test case has been clarified or might they even accept one or two of them in the meantime yeah there are some um we are having some success at the moment with a couple of insurers who are accepting in principle so that means we accept that if you have sustained a loss um that we will cover in the situation and that is on very specific wordings at the moment uh, but then obviously the argument turns to have you sustained a loss and non on the, there is only a handful of them that we're dealing with at the moment where they have accepted in principle, they are then moving on to dispute the loss. So um, I think most insurers are holding out for the decision and they're going to make sure, obviously, they're not paying out on anything that they don't have to, which is understandable. Um, but at the same time, just because then you get an acceptance that in theory you're covered, that then doesn't mean you're going to give them the right information in terms of proving the loss. So businesses just need to be careful in terms of how they're communicating and what they're communicating. And if they are going to settle anything themselves directly without representation, they just need to make sure they are getting the right forget. Um, and what do the businesses need to pay in terms of legal fees for you to do this work? Because I'm sure some people are probably nervous that if their business has already taken a financial hit they probably won't be able to afford more legal fees, particularly if the case isn't cast iron. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, the way in which we've structured this is that we're acting for businesses on a no-win, no-fee, um, which is, is fairly unique for us. We do it on one or two subject matters, but not generally in relation to business matters because they're more complex. Um, but because we accept that businesses won't have money, um, at, at this moment in time. And certainly they won't want to spend that money on what is at this stage in, in, in many people's eyes a bit of a punt. The way in which we've structured it is on a no win, no fee. So it costs businesses nothing up front and we only charge them if they're successful out of the amount that we get back. This allows them to take on our advice and it allows them to get the expertise in terms of making sure that it's being done correctly. But it also protects them from having to find money up front at this stage. Um, and, and being at risk of, of later being unsuccessful, having paid all that money out. Uh, and what documents do they need to put together? Because I assume you can't just drop you an email going, hi, Rob, uh, I think I might have a claim. Uh, please advise. No, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to receive those emails, but you, you'll get an email back that tells you what I need in, in terms of helping you. So if you're unsure about what you need or if, if maybe you can't find what we're telling you to get here, then, then by all means still get in contact. But we do need to see the full insurance policy. That isn't the schedule, which is sort of three or four pages. It's the meaty document that's normally somewhere between 
30 and 100 and odd pages long. You mean no the one, one ever reads? <laughs> I, was just, yeah. I was just about to say, the one that nobody ever reads. <laughs> yeah, it's, definitely one, it's definitely the one you've never read because about five minutes in, you'd be asleep. It's, it's fantastic bedtime reading. Um, so we need that. We need any communications that you've already had in terms of emails with your broker, etc. Um, obviously, we need your full name and the business name, some contact details so we can get hold of you. Um, and ideally, a best time to call, and then we can make sure we're we're not hassling you. We're, we're calling you within a range time. What that that w- will then lead to is a, a 10, 15 minute initial discussion, in which we go through a questionnaire with you to ascertain exactly the effect that there's been on you. We'll have a look at the policy, and then we'll we'll let you know if we're happy to move forward. Um, if we're happy to move forward with you, then we send you some sign up papers electronically. Um, so it's a few clicks once you've read them. And that just gives us authority to speak with the insurers and it's, it's you instructing us on your behalf. Um, and then we get going and the letter goes. And the next time you hear from us is is, is when we're asking you for um, some documents to help us try and work out how much you've lost. Fab. To reiterate then that email address that you uh, will want to send it to, it's B-I-I-Claims, all one word, at johnsonandboon.co.uk. You can use the info at johnsonandboon.co.uk if you want, but if you send it to that specialised email address, it will go to the team who are have been designated to deal with these. So it, say, it probably cuts out a process of passing it on to someone to pass it on to someone, really. Um, of course, if you want to book in a specific time that's convenient for you, uh, then what better way of doing it than downloading the free Johnson & Boone uh, mobile app uh, where you can actually schedule an appointment with the likes of Rob. You can pick the time, you can pick the day, and then you don't need to worry about whether it's convenient or not. Although, again, we'd certainly recommend that you send over the documents in advance because it's a bit hard to have a conversation with somebody about a, an in-depth legal document that they haven't yet seen <laughs> so i definitely recommend doing that first um have we covered everything yeah um i suppose the only thing to say is we'll we'll do something else in due course once we know what the outcome is so maybe take yeah um i guess it's safe to say we will probably touch on this subject again in the not too distant future when we get a decision yeah, of course, in the next sort of few weeks, month, whatever it may be, um, we will do another podcast and we'll we'll tidy up in terms of what has happened. Um, as you said earlier on, we'll be limited in terms of, it's a very complex area, this, so it'll be a whistle-stop tour of what's happened. But yeah, we will do a further podcast in due course just to update everyone. Brilliant. As we said at the outset, get in touch if you've got any questions, get in touch if you've got any topics you want to suggest. If you do download the mobile app, check out the Legal Guard uh, product. It's a fantastic one. We we haven't really touched on it in great detail. We should probably do that as a topic at some point, Rob, um, because it, it's some fantastic, really affordable uh, legal support systems and, and opportunities for both individuals and businesses alike. Um, so it's well worth checking that out. You can find that on the uh, the website as well. It's johnsonandboon.co.uk forward slash legal guard. Um, do we know what topic we're going to be covering next week, Rob? No, we don't at the moment. Uh, I think we're going to throw it back out again and, and see if we can get some some recommendations. You know, the, the dust has probably settled now in terms of businesses really opening back up. Um, I know we've had a lot of lease inquiries recently in, in terms of people not knowing what the position is on certain things. So maybe maybe there's a subject within that. But 
Um, we'll throw it back open on our social media. Um, and if, if anybody wants to make um, a request, then we'll we'll try and facilitate that. So if you, you're wondering how to catch us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, it's at Johnson & Boone. Just go find us, DM us, uh, and we will take all suggestions on board and the most frequent will win. Absolutely. Well, Rob, thank you very much for that. I I'm, I'm feel quite excited to find out where this goes. I mean, obviously, it's a nervous excitement because there's an awful lot on the table for people with this decision. Yeah, there is. There's there's huge amounts of money involved. And, you know, whilst it's a massive liability for the insurers, there are businesses out there that would genuinely benefit from being able to claim on these policies and recoup some of the losses that they've sustained over the last few months. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us again, Rob. It's been lovely to have you back on the show. Thanks very much, Mark. Cheers. Cheers. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.